As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, and sportsman drag racing. Big Jed, we've got a big show. We're going to be OG million heavy. We're going to try to break down that mega event from every angle. Uh, we've also got a little bit of NHRA action. Points chases continue to heat up. We've got some tickets punched. We've got ticket punched scenarios uh, going to uh, Vegas and the NHRA runoff. But obviously everything starts at the OG million. Jed, how are you? Luke, I am well. I am well. What a great show this is going to be this week. Uh... One of our favorite subjects, the OG Million, and it did not disappoint. So uh, excited to talk about that. I'm getting to do a little racing of my own. And, um, you know, just I'm probably letting the cat out of the bag here, and I shouldn't do that. It's not mine to let out, but uh, JJ just got it cleared to, to work the, the fall fling at oh. Bristol. So uh, dad dad's out i won't be going but jj will be part of the announcing team there and he'll he'll be uh racing as well so i'm gonna be pretty darn cool uh, next couple of weeks here for me sorry getting my screens arranged here yeah that is exciting stuff congrats to jj yeah yeah appreciate that he's excited he's jacked as it as it pertains to this show jed like i am super excited to talk about the OG million on like a positive vibes only kind of like <laughs> it's been years since we got to talk about this event just in a glowing light all the way around. Like this was super positive. We'll get into it. This was the best production of the OG million in maybe a decade. Like everything went really smooth and we can focus on the stories on the racetrack for the first time in a while. And the stories on the racetrack, Big Jed absolutely incredible perhaps one of if not the best stories to ever come in the 28 history 28 year history of this event 
I think potentially one of the best stories in all of sportsman drag racing over that time. Let's play a little game. Let's let's, let's alter the, the 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 typical show structure just a little bit, Big Jed. In we'll call the game like sum it up in one word. In one word, Donnie Hagar's million dollar race win is uh, improbable. Good word. Go on. Um, I need to give another word for number two. <laughs> No, like, I mean, we we can say more about Donnie Hagar's win than improbable, right? We 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 can we can, I, I know the idea here is to 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 get to each thing individually, but yeah, like obviously Donnie Hagar, this is one hell of a story. Yeah, the, I mean, you know, the odds are not necessarily with anyone, Luke, but they are stacked against some more than others, just simply because of the 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 route you take and the no box side has the odds stacked against them. Um, a little more difficult to double enter for those racers. They typically, if they double, they're going to have to put one on the no box side and one on the, the delay box side, although they're leaving on the bottom. So that's a, that's a challenge. And, you know, Donnie's a, a blue collar, uh, just, a, just a normal guy out there, no boxing. So he brought his single entry there and decided to just chase it through the no box side which makes it way more challenging in my opinion. Uh, others might not share the same opinion. And for him to to move all the way through the event, get into the, time the out, box time out. side. Who doesn't share that opinion? <laughs> Who <laughs> well, at 23 you know, cars left in the million dollar race says, I'd just rather y'all, hold on to my delay box. I'd rather not. <laughs> There's not many. There are a few. There are not many. I, I, you know, and I, when I say the odds are stacked against him, I think some will say, well, no, he's got just a good chance to anybody, but they really don't know what they're talking about. And I do. So the odds were stacked against him. He comes through the no box side, which was a challenge. That no box side was loaded with talent, Luke, loaded. And then to move into the delay side and, and do what he did. It's a, we can't tell it enough, but it is an amazing story. One that no one will forget. They're not going to forget the 28th. No, the, the story is spectacular. And I don't want to spend a ton of time on it because I think anyone listening to this show is is familiar with it at this point. I mean, it's very much gone viral, at least in, in our world. But I mean, just Cliff's notes, local standout, you know, regional ace, Donnie Hagar, like scraps, scraps together the money to go to this event drives down in a 20-year-old truck on an open trailer for one day because I think he said in the winter circle picture all he could afford was to run the million. Sleeps in a tent, unloads this Vega, and what did he do, Jed? He won the damn race. He Luke. won the damn race. What gets lost, I think, in, in the story, he was stellar. I mean, like, throughout. He came through the no-box side, like you said. I think we can we can eliminate one narrative quick. Like, I keep seeing Footbreaker wins the million. Like, Donnie Hagar was not footbreaking. He was on the no box side, but that thing went like that's an odd sounding footbreaker, right? No box racer comes through the no box side, which was stacked to your point. He defeated Lucas Walker. He defeated Andy Schmall. He defeated Michael Crass, not once, but twice. Got him in the buyback round, got him in the final, and then falls in with the rest of the field. Round six, 23 cars left, proceeds to defeat Garrett Griffith, one of the most talented young racers in the country. That puts him down to 12, where he's 19 total against a red-lighting Isaac Wilde. That puts him to six, where he's 18, take nine, to win a double breakout over Rocky Van Note. And then that just sets the stage. Like, I thought it was a cool story 
that this dude made it to the semis. How big of an underdog was Donnie Hagar in the semis? He did not have the buy at three. He's in a 630 Vega without a delay box. And he's got to get through not one, but two of the best racers in the world who are obviously just as red hot, if not hotter than he is. He's got to beat Mikey Bloomfield. And then he's got to beat Shane Carr, who's going into his third million dollar race final. Not only do they have presumably better equipment, more skins on the wall, like Shane specifically has been there before and knows exactly what to expect. And at that point, Donnie Hagar just stepped up. Mikey Bloomfield's nine total at three cars left in the million and got that cut in half. Hagar's four total beside him, and he's going to make a similar run in the final. He's 005 on the tree. Sugar Shane's one thou red to end it there. Like you just zoom out from this and the story is amazing. The performance was incredible. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a Rocky like uh, performance. You know, it's, it's the ultimate underdog, the, the no hood Vega going six thirties, leaving on the bottom. You lay him down nine total and you're one of the best to do it. And, and he gets inside of that just in, by the sheer numbers uh, very easily. I know it was not easy on the racetrack, but by the numbers, you know, he, he had, That's he easy. had room to make a little, he had room to make a little mistake, Luke, and his opponent was nine total. So that's incredible. And then obviously facing one of the best to ever do it, a, a first ballot hall of famer and Shane Carr and, you know, leaves 005, which was giving himself uh, a great opportunity to, turn on a wind light. And uh, I have, uh, I have messaged with Donnie, um, Donnie, obviously a, a bottom bulber and somebody I'm, I'm pretty familiar with. I've messaged with him and, you know, he said really was starting to sink in the first, uh, the first part of Monday that he said, I was so focused in the moment, just really trying to stay focused and hit my spot and do what I needed to do. It really hadn't sunk in, you know, the financial impact, the 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 impact around the world that people have seen what has happened here and given him all this praise. So uh, just unbelievable to the way he held himself together, beat the odds, beat some of the best in the in the sports history that'll ever do it. And you know, I don't know what he won, Luke, dollar wise, but I've heard some figures and. It, it was a lot, and that is an estimate. Absolutely uh, life-changing moment for Donnie Hagar, and that's, you know, you love to see it. Yeah, that, that brings me, we'll, we'll circle back around, that brings me to my one word, moneymaker. Not in the sense of he just walked away with, with multiple six-figure payday. I'm talking about the last name, specifically Chris Moneymaker, okay? If you're familiar at all with the, the World Series of Poker, Poker saw this ridiculous boom after a man by the name of Chris Moneymaker won the World Series of Poker main event because Chris Moneymaker was, I think he was an accountant. Like he was the everyman, right? Who rolled into this casino that's just full of the sharks, the the, the professionals. And he wins. And it just, and it was the first time I think it was televised on ESPN. And everybody's like, well, hell, I could do that. This guy looks like an idiot. Not to diminish... <laughs> Chris Moneymaker, but this guy seems very average, right? And he, and he won the, the, the biggest race. I think Jeff Verde, similar, right? Like the impact, I don't, I know that there's a lot that goes into this, um, the growth of specifically this event, along with the Spring Fling Million of big dollar bracket racing in general over the course of the last five, six years, right? There's a lot of factors at play. 
but I don't think it's purely coincidental that that rise in these type of events, the attendance of these type of events, followed Jeff Verde's incredible, was it 2018, right? And the fact that he drove yeah. across country on an open trailer and people just thought, hell, I could do that. If he could do that, I could do that, right? And that's what Donnie Hagar speaks to here. It is because you and I knew who Donnie Hagar was coming in, but I don't know that his work, his name had ever been uttered on this podcast, right? Like he was a regional star that didn't get on the road a whole lot and basically an obscure name to the masses. They're not to take away a thing from what Donnie Hagar did because it was spectacular. There are a lot of Donnie Hagars out there. There are a lot of oh, yeah. racers that are capable, if given the opportunity, to do something similar to what he right? This is not rocket science. And I think now more than ever, winning on Friday night, Saturday morning at Worldwide Technology Raceway for $590,000 is less different than winning at your local track on Saturday night than it has ever been. And when you, racers that are good racers see another relatively unknown good racer have success on this level, it's got to catalyze the idea that could be me because it could. And I just think as wild, and we'll talk about the weekend, as wild as the weekend was, as huge a turnout as it was, I think it's almost inevitable that 2024 is bigger and it is the Donny Hagar effect. <laughs> that is great logic, Luke. Uh, you'd have a hard time finding anybody that will argue that, um, you know, how could it get any bigger because it was massive, but I guess it can, and I guess it probably will. Uh, because the event was so smooth, so well run, and obviously was uh, quite a marathon in terms of hours spent in the race each day. But the the ending, and you know the, and we'll talk about the door car impact too. That that has to bring more. But the ending of the OG Million itself was the absolute perfect ending, and it was storybook. It's Cinderella. It's the whole deal, and I can't help but think just like you're thinking that that's going to have a, a positive impact on the, the event and create some growth next year. And they'll need to be prepared for that. Yeah, no, we can get into that too, because that's going to be a challenge. Um, before we move off of, of Donnie Hagar, like, I don't know Donnie, right? You've got, you've got at least some relationship with him. So I'll ask you this. How does he handle going from relatively obscure local standout to the most recognizable man in sportsman drag racing overnight. Like that, we saw that with Verdi. And you couldn't handpick someone to better assume that role than Jeff Verdi. Like he would, he is tailor-made, ready to be the face of the sport. I don't think that, like Donnie Hagar rolls into the million and half the field has probably never heard his name. And the next day he goes to, or two days later, he goes to Central Illinois Dragway on his way home. And I see like, five pictures on Facebook, people taking selfies with them. Like, look who's here. Look, you know, I mean, like, how do you, how do you, how do you rationalize that change overnight? Like, how do you deal with that? That's, that's pretty wild. Well, Luke, I wish I could tell you from experience how you deal with that, but I can't. Uh, you've obviously been in that moment. Uh, you were very recognizable prior to that. And, you know, I, I doubt it changed a whole lot of things for you. It's definitely going to change a lot for Donnie, but I don't see him doing anything other than than be who he is. He'll stay true to himself. 
you know, he, he might buy him a, a cow hood that, that he can put on the Vega. I don't know, but um, <laughs> hopefully he gets himself something that he's been needing. Obviously he saved up and financially that was a, a challenging for him to, he couldn't make the whole event and he just came with what it took to run the million. And obviously that worked out very well. So, you know, this obviously will create, and I'm saying obviously a lot, a lot, but it will create um, some financial um, security for him. Uh, he comes from a well-grounded family. His father is well-grounded and Donnie is a, is a grounded individual. So um, this is going to be great for him in terms of the financial impact. The, the public perception of him probably is something that, that he didn't ever want or desire. Uh, he's a, he's stays pretty low key. So I'm sure that's a little uncomfortable for him, but when it's all said and done, I think you just stay true to who you are and Donnie will. And, you know, although this will never blow over, he's always going to be the 28th winner of the million and probably the largest payday in OG million history for a winner. I don't really know how that's worked out completely in the past, but I really think that's fair. Him. Yeah. Really good for him, and um, he'll stay true to himself and uh, keep his drag lights on his car and just keep cracking heads or cracking necks and cashing checks, as they say. I don't know that it resonates with everyone. It's a quick, funny aside. So my my five-year-old is locked in, right? And we're watching the late rounds of the million, and, and I'll be completely transparent. We were rooting for Rocky, right? Rocky Van Note, my, my Mosier engineering teammate, coolest guy in the pits, sure. right? And he, uh, he lost to Donnie Hagar at six. So they run that round at six. And my little guy, he says, uh, Daddy, who's going to win? And I said, man, I've got to root for the Vega. I like Vegas. And it'd be a heck of a story. And he goes, which Vega? I said, the green one, green Vega. And my, my son knows every car in the pit, guaranteed. And there was 800 of them, right? And he knows all of them. He said, the green Vega with the VP sticker? I said, I don't know. It's the green Vega with no hood. How many of them are there? Got a big VP sticker. I have no idea if it has a VP sticker. It's a green Vega with no hood. He's parked back behind the staging lanes. Yeah, it's got a big VP sticker on it. He comes by in the semis. Guess what? Big VP racing fuel sticker. <laughs> Way to represent Donnie Hagar. I don't know if that hit home with anybody else, but my five-year-old VP racing fuels fan because of Donnie Hagar. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how he recognized him. That's so how we recognize him. Yeah, good for him and the, and the support that, that he's getting if he's getting any. If he's not, he should be. All right. Second question for you. In one word, let me preface this. <clears throat> Donnie Hagar's million dollar victory was one in a string of door cars dominating the OG million. Wes May won the opening 20 grander. Nick Hastings foot braked his way to the $50,000 win on Wednesday night. Jason Lawrence followed that up with another $50,000 win on Thursday night before Donnie Hagar won the million. Do you know what all of those guys did right before they rolled up in the pre-stage beam? Closed the door behind they them. They shut the door behind them. Now, Hunter Patton <laughs> bucked the trend. He did get a win in the dragster on Saturday to close the event. But the first four days, all door cars. So, one word, door cars dominating the OG million. Right after door cars dominated the event at Norwalk, where they weren't separated. Door cars dominating the OG means? Inspiring. Hey, I like that. Okay. You know, us door car guys, we kept them put away when the dragsters come along and started dominating and winning everything. And, you know, we just like, it just killed your spirits. And then they, they decided to separate them at the, at the fling way back when, and door cars started coming back out of the, the garage. Now here we are 
nearly 15 years later, that's a standard format. Even got the no box cars getting their own category. And we've been saying it for years, Luke. We're we're door car racers. I I I'm not scared to run a dragster in a door car, but I don't prefer it. I like uh, to be able to implement a certain style of of racing, a strategy, and that's uh, more attainable against another door car. So uh, I do that, but you give us four, five runs and old cars settle down and we know where we're at. We ain't scared, but we like a few runs under our belt before we dive into the dragster category. Just, and I'm not particularly speaking of me or you, I'm just saying door car racers in general. So it was inspiring to see the door cars, number one, show up in great numbers. Uh, and it was inspiring to see door cars have so much success, even when they basically were paired with the the best dragsters of the evening at every race they attended, they prevailed uh, for the most part. Honey Wayne really messed that up, but that's what he does. Um, so it was inspiring. I like that word. I'm going to go with door cars dominating the OG million is trending. It seems to be a trend. And I said a couple of weeks ago that it's kind of a flash in the pan. Like I think dragsters still have the advantage and I'll stick by that slight. I, I said a couple of weeks ago that that, that advantage has shrunk in, in the last 10 to 20 years. Like technology's come a long way. Door cars are better than they've ever been. But if you gave me apples to apples, like I think dragsters just a little bit better weapon. With that said, watching this unfold, I've got I've got two potential explanations as to why there's some credence to this, why I think we may see door cars at the very least continue to hold their own, if not come out on top more often than not. My two reasons, number one, I think everything is cyclic and the narrative for years has been it's easier on the door car side, it's softer on the door car side. So do you know what the majority of the best racers did? They went and got door cars, right? And now I think it's fair to say the door car side is just as cutthroat as anything, right? In in some fashion, thanks to that trend. I'll also say this, you brought up a good point. By the time that they mix together, okay, at this particular race that's on the ladder, 16 cars or less, the door cars have plenty of data. We can get dialed at this point, right? And in theory, so do the dragsters. But what I see going on on the racetrack is... By and large, there are outliers, there are exceptions to every rule, but by and large, the racers that are making the best runs that are going the most rounds on the door car side are making like package runs. Like they are trying to match the dial in. On the dragster side, that's true in cases, but there is a significant percentage that are really creative in terms of strategy, in terms of, and it opens it up to do that because specifically on the dragster side, for the first six rounds of this event, you're racing someone dialed within two, three, four tenths of you every round, right? So there is more finish line chicanery. There's more strategy. There's more holding going on. I think, and I saw, there is a measurable percentage of dragsters that when they get combined and they get the six second door car, they don't really know what the hell they can go. Because they ain't held it wide open for the last 15 hours. I mean, I watched in the million dollar race and this was, I love this. Like it it just cracked me up. It made me smile. Jeff Sarah is dialed 449 and 450 all night long. He hooks a door car 
with 12 cars left in the million. Do you know what my man dialed? What? 43. Hold Ooh. on a second. I got the door. Code. Let me just wheel it down seven. <laughs> Jeff Sarah has got a lot of data. You cannot tell me he knew with great deal of confidence. I'm going low 443. There is no way. He well, I was going to say, he, he knew he could cover that. He, even that, he knew he could cover. Shane Carr dialed down three. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, you get to a point where you just don't have that back half incremental. And it's a little bit more uncomfortable. I think by and large in those situations, the door cars have a better idea of where they're at, just due to the nature of competition in those separate but similar categories. You couldn't be more correct. Uh, that's definitely the case. And, you know, I, I don't, the dragsters have, at the big money races, look, they've gotten so used to running their own that I, I think that they don't necessarily want to see that door car racer that has gone five, six rounds already and lighten the scoreboard dead on. You you don't want to see that because it does change your strategy. So that's a really good point that the, the door cars trending towards domination at some of these events uh, is not not always just because they they are, I guess, dominating the dragsters they're changing their strategy. The dragster racers are having to change their strategy. And that's probably a little uncomfortable. I mean, you're talking about talking about guys like Sugar Shane and Ezel and Sarah that can blow the dial off the board every time they go down the racetrack if they want to. And now you've got to hold it wide open. And that's hard as hell to do, Luke, when 99% of your runs have some kind of throttle rip or brake pedal involved. And now you've got to make a time shot. That's not easy to do. You convince yourself I'm going under, and you sometimes you rip the gas when you don't need to. You you do things weird that you didn't need to do. So that's a really good point that it's made those guys change their strategy some, and that helps. Let's let me change gears on you a little bit. We'll get back to the million dollar race because there's still a lot to unpack. But one other happening elsewhere in the country over the weekend: John LaBoost Jr. won Supercom at the NHRA Division II event at Galat Motorsports Park gave him the national points lead. It is after Travis Theobald led the national points in Supercomp for the better part of, what, three, four months? This is now the third consecutive week in which we've seen a different leader sit atop the standings. After his runner-up finish at Indy, Jason Kenny surpassed Travis Theobald a week later uh, following his Indy victory, and then a semifinal finish at Earlville, Iowa. Devin Eisenhower took the lead, and now John LaBoost Jr. does the same. There's a long way left to go. There's obviously several dogs in the hunt, several that we didn't even just name. The 2023 Super Comp Points Chase Big Jed, in one word, will be? What it always is, Luke. Exciting. This is going to be an exciting chase. You know, and just think about what you just said. We're talking about the million-dollar drag race, the OG million. And you just talked about John LaBoose Jr. winning uh, super comp race on the same weekend that they're holding the OG million. So it just shows you how important super comp is. I know it doesn't mean a lot to everyone, but to those involved, it means a lot. And you've got a guy that's accomplished as John LaBoose Jr. out there chasing this, and especially on the OG weekend. It's pretty cool. So that to me makes it exciting. When you've got huge players in the game that are chasing these points and trying to accomplish this championship. It's really freaking cool. And obviously, you know, Mussolino and you got you got other players involved, John LaBoose Jr. This whole thing is going to be very exciting. 
exciting is a good word. It's an obvious word. It's it's I was leaning towards something like that, but I'm going to I'm going to go out a little bit further on a limb big jet. I'm going to use two words. This super comp points chase fool's gold because a month ago it looked like it was wide open. Man, anybody can win it. You know who's going to win it? Somebody that's won it before. It's going to be John LaBouche Jr. or Devin Eisenhower. They're, they're, they've positioned themselves now in a, in a spot where they can distance themselves from the field more easily than anyone else. Like they're improving worse races and they're ahead. And they've got the experience like that both of those guys know what this is all about down the stretch. It looked two weeks ago wide open. Man, you could look down. Somebody 50th in points could win this. No, one of those two is going to win it. Well, obviously, Theobald, you got Eisenhower, you got Labouche, you got some major players. Uh, we've talked about Cooper Chun, we've talked about Chris Whitfield. I mean, this is a this is an exciting chase, regardless of who comes out on top. You know, again, to know that the races are about to transition back west, where some of those names feel a little more at home, and they've got a little less travel involved. Although it'll be a lot of travel either way. You know, I think they're still going to make it very, very interesting. And Labou still has his work cut out for him for sure. But uh, again, the the people involved in that points chase just make it exciting. And, you know, I don't I don't uh, pretend to follow it. I don't have to follow it. I, I got you. And uh, I'm looking forward to the breakdown as we as we continue with these last few events on the schedule. Back to Worldwide Technology Raceway. One word. Sugar Chains. I said that funny. Sugar Shane. Third million dollar final round appearance was uh luke i I texted a little with sugar and i i used a term so i'm gonna put two words on this i used a term that that i told him he was in and that's rare air uh obviously this hasn't been done by a one other only one other person it's only been done by i I came up with two i could be wrong well scotty's been to four okay Kenny Underwood. Okay. If you combine all millions, all different kinds of millions, I, I think those well, are the only two that have done what changed. And there's another one, Dave Triplett. Triplett's been to three finals. Okay. I couldn't, Triplett. I know he won two. He was runner up to. I had forgot about some of those early, uh, early millions. And yeah. So obviously still you're talking about in the history of the sport. This is the 28th of this one. So there's been quite a few millions total and you got four guys that, that have done this four or five, whatever the number is, have done this three times. Pretty darn impressive. And Sugar, again, you know, he's a guy that that probably doesn't get near the credit that he deserves. Uh, you know, I know we've been guilty of that here, here on the show, uh, not necessarily leaving him out, but not putting him in the position that a lot of people felt like he should fall in. But regardless of all that, Sugar is a, is a top 10 top 15 lifetime achiever in the sport always will be you can't take that from him had he turned on one or two of those other million final round win lights you know that probably moves him even further ahead if that's possible but one of the best to ever do it he's in rare air he is he is uh, breathing rare air and pretty darn cool and I I hope that doesn't get lost in the in the Donnie Hagar story, although Donnie is the story, Sugar, that was really freaking impressive. Yeah, that I, my my word is different, but my take is is similar. Um, my word is cementing in terms of legacy cementing. Like, not that Shane Carr needed this 
to to cement his legacy. Like I I won't even go so far just to use the term of validating, right? Like he didn't he didn't need this to validate who he is and what he's done behind the wheel. But rare air, like totally. There are I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna like call you out here in the middle. You sure triplets been in three finals? Yeah. All at the OG. Who did it do one, who did your runner up? One, to? two and lost one. Uh Kenny Underwood. Maybe I got that wrong uh, then. Maybe I'm thinking I was thinking Underwood lost to Triplet. Maybe Underwood hasn't been in three finals then. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Say, wasn't it wasn't it Triplet that Underwood beat when he when he went nuts in the in the burnout box? I don't remember. I should have I should have remembered that. You know, you're right. You're right. Way. So it is it is Kenny's been to two, Triplet's been to three. You're right. Okay. And Scotty's been to four. Regardless, there's a lot of people that have been to a lot of millions. And it's not easy to make one final. There's only a handful of people that have been to two. Three is like, it's just one of those legacy cementing things. And to your earlier point, like not only, I don't even remember what the scenario was. Were we were we doing a top 25 of all time? And I, I think, think so, yeah. And I think we'd gotten, like, it wasn't just us. I think we got votes from elsewhere, but Shane was, was not included in that. And I think you could have like made that argument at that time. I think we did make that argument at that time. You can't make that argument today. And Shane, I think in his... 50s like shane's got to be 50 right it's like, yeah i think shane's about my age about 52 yeah it's like fine wine baby i think shane Carr today the best he's ever been and that's not common right i i, I feel like he i don't want to say like he's come a long way like he's always been good but i i think he has been not only more successful but legit like better on the racetrack in the last five years than at any point in his career and it was a hall of fame career five years ago yeah great point so yeah, Kuda, I just, I thought that was worth noting. Cause like you say, five years from now, not many people are going to remember who runnered up to Donnie Hagar. Everybody's going to remember the name Donnie Hagar. I thought it was worth shining some light on the chain car because three, $3 million race finals is absolutely insane. My fifth question for you, <laughs> we'll stay on the million. This one a bit entertaining, if not maybe mind boggling, like the the drama factory, the soap opera, which was minimal this year at the million by, by OG million standards, certainly, right? But the soap opera of the event was the dry hop duel between Chris Galitti and Gage Birch. So the dry hop duel between Chris Galitti and Gage Birch was? I want to use a word here that's going to sound like I'm condemning it. But I want to I want to preface this with this is this is not condemning it Um, (laughs) because I, I thought it was, you know, funny, whatever. But silly, silly is a word I'll I'll put on it. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I've I've got and not, I, I think not saying anything's wrong with that. I like silly, but it, I, I think it was silly. We're in unison here. Like I've got I've got two words because at first the first word that came to mind was bizarre. Like I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't, I don't, I still don't completely understand what I just watched, right? And then my second word is yeah, s- silly's probably a better word. <laughs> I, I was gonna I was gonna go with juvenile. Like if I, if I could <laughs> use two words, I was gonna say junior high. Like, what are we doing here? That, I'll let you talk first. Well, you know, Luke, I did not see it happen. Um, I, I was I was on a, a trip with my wife and we were at the beach and, I, you know, I wasn't watching closely. Uh, I knew that the race was going to run long and I knew when we got back to our, our room that I would have some time to to kind of watch uh, later in the round. So but I did scroll across Facebook a time or two and I, I see the post that Chris Galitti will go down in history as the the best racer ever and i'm like okay it's like i don't know how what time it was it was eight o'clock and i'm like well i know he didn't win because this is way too early and i can't figure out exactly what happened so uh you know i start trying to dive into this thing and figure out what happened then i see what happened and i'm like 
this is this is hilarious. It's Chris Gulitti in a nutshell. I love Chris. He is he is a free spirit, fun guy. You know, I'm I'm sure there was a little bit of uh, get off my yard, you rotten kid in there, but I bet there was mostly let's have some fun. You know, we're we're at the OG Million. We got a big stage here. He's taking a while. Let's let's enjoy this and have a good time. So. I think it was good time, Chris Gulitti, but I thought, wow, this is unbelievable what's happening right now or what did happen. So, like, just back to my original, like, bizarre point, this is second round of the million. Okay, like, there, you can't buy back at this point. It's pretty a tense round for most people, right? Maybe not necessarily for Chris Gulitti, because I don't know if there is a tense round for Chris Gulitti. But Gulitti is pre-stage, and, and Gage is going through his routine, which is lengthy right like but i'm i'm watching this on the big screen in the staging lanes and about the time that that gage pulls it into gear and rolls up toward pre-stage galitti does like a dry hop i mean like to 60 foot and in the moment i just assumed like his pro stage look or something like there's no way that he meant to do that because the the timing of it was just (laughs) wild right and then it got it got weirder from there like they back up they try to restage i think gage is fully in Chris is pre-staged and then the starter's coming over to talk to Chris, like presumably maybe to tell him that he's disqualified for going across the starting line or something. Meanwhile, there's three bulbs on for like 20 seconds and the tree never drops. And then they back out and then they gauge is out of the car. And nobody knows what's going on. And then gauge does a dry hop and then they stage. And, and I gauge is like 12 total after all that. Right. And I don't, I want to, I, I want to get Galitti's take on this. Like I haven't heard him speak on this, but the way that everyone's spinning this, I don't know if it's completely accurate or not. Like the, we are to understand, Jed, that the, the catalyst for all of this like old guys versus young guns angst is rooted in how long the younger generation takes between the burnout and starting the staging process. Is that the vibe you're getting? <laughs> That's uh, 100%. That's the vibe. Okay, so I get it, I guess. Like if you've got eyeballs, maybe a stopwatch. I think we can agree that like painting with a broad brush, that is categorically true. Like the younger generation takes a while. Um, I just, it seems like a really odd thing to me of, of all of the things that are quote unquote wrong in our sport. Like the need for a shot clock seems like it's a ways down the list to me. Like it just seems like an odd place to kind of dig in your heels. Like if you tell me, hey, we're going to have a shot clock. Okay. If you tell me the shot clock's never going to happen. Also, okay, like there's a lot of things that we need to fix. I don't know that that's at the front of the list. And it's hard for me to believe that that is the source of this tension, this kind of building tension. Like it kind of feels like it could get ugly between the OGs, if you will, and the young guns. Like this, this is what we're arguing about? Really? <laughs> well, you know, and I'm not sure how much, um, how much disgust there is out there amongst the the racers old young what have you with with how long it's taken some racers to stage so you know this seems to be not to stage to pre-stage to pre-stage good point am Uh, am i mistaken like i'm i'm from the school that says like the race can't start until all four of those little lights on top of the tree light up and it doesn't make a damn what order they come on in before the race starts like that's that's my line of thinking. I don't care, but apparently a lot of people do. Yeah, you know, and this this seems to be an old guys versus young guys thing, but 
you know, the, the guys that are taking a while to, to pre-stage, they do it no matter who they're racing. Um, so that's, you know, it's definitely not anything that they're strategizing against some of the senior members in the sport to, to try to throw them off their game. It's just who they are. Um, you know, I, I've raced people that stage slow. And back in the day when I thought I was a badass, I would, you know, somebody would say, man, it took him a long time to stage. And I say, yeah, he was just prolonging ass whipping. You know, it's, he was going to get it, whether he staged fast or slow. So might as well just stay on the track as long as he could. And, you know, although I don't take the same mentality to the starting line today that I used to when I, when I thought I was one of the best, that doesn't bother me a whole lot. I don't, I don't let that get to me a whole lot. I don't think it impacts my results. So I wouldn't, as you said, dig my heels in right here. Uh, if I knew I was racing somebody that, that was slow, I'd probably let them burn out first. We might have a burnout contest to, to, or, a, you know, a no burnout contest to see who goes first. I might, might let them do that. I might slow play myself a little bit, you know, have the car seven, eight, 10 degrees cool and, you know, know that, if they take a while, I'm going to be right where I want to be if I was to be racing somebody that I had it set up at the normal temperature. So if I'm if I'm running someone that I know is a little slow, I, I tend to handle things a little differently before I get up there and pre-stage and just sit and wait. So that stuff doesn't bother me. I, I can go with the flow for pretty much anything, but you know, I can also see how it is aggravating. You know, I, watching it on Motor Mania, and you've got the you've got the view right here where you're looking at the starting line, and it they just pull up there and they're like sitting. You know, you do wonder, hey, what what's what are they doing? What's what's going through their mind? Are they waiting on something to happen in the gauges to get it right where they want? You know, wondering what's happening. So I can understand how it's frustrating, but at the same time, I can appreciate the fact that they do it every run they make, and it's not something they're they're doing to try to bother the older guys. I mean, we watched Ricky Jones for years, right? Like Ricky Jones will be, if there ain't a rule against it, Ricky Jones will be staged before you get in reverse from your burnout. And it's been that way for 30 years, Jed. One time, one time I got smart. I thought, you know what? I'm going to beat Ricky Jones to stage. And I may have done that. I may have done that. And honestly, we were in jeopardy of hitting the pair in front of us. Like we stayed (laughs) and they weren't to the scoreboards yet. You know what I mean? Like Ricky don't mess around. And you know what Ricky did when I staged first? He laid me down like nine total. Like it just, it doesn't, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm, I realize everybody kind of gets in their rhythm and their sequences and and perhaps there is an opportunity to disrupt that. Like I say, it just seems like an odd place to dig in your heels and and to to think that the the source of tension, if there, to the extent that there was tension around this race is rooted in this. Like it just, it seems odd to me that like, I feel like there's got to be more to it, but apparently like the more I dig, there's, there's not, it just seems like an odd thing to, to create this much drama, but to each his own, the dry hops were entertaining. That would be another, another good word. Um, so yeah, we'll see where this goes from here. Well, Luke, one thing I want to say, just obviously, you know, this happened at the, the all-star event and, and there were the, there were the, the comments and each winter circle, Scotty's engages, and they both, you know, got it off their chest. But I think this is a a testament to Scotty's influence that he still has on the sport. I think Scotty put the foundation down for the the young guns versus the the old guys that still have some gas left, as he said. And obviously, there's plenty of gas left in Scotty's tank. Um, He took a stand, and now others are following. I just really think 
if you go back to that and Scotty doesn't, Scotty doesn't have issue or discuss issues with the young guns, this may not happen. This, this might not have even taken place a week later at the OG me. And so I think it's, again, Scotty's influence on the sport and the fact that, oh, if it pissed Scotty off, you know what? I'm going to be pissed off too. No, that's that def- could be totally wrong. That's definitely some of the gasoline on the fire. Like I've heard undertones of this for a couple of years, you know, and, and, and coming from a lot of different racers, like what's, what's with the, the younger generation? Like it's, it's like racing a human rain delay. You know what I mean? Um, so, so, and, and Scotty definitely put voice to that. Um, but just how worked up everybody seems to be about it. I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm a different line of thinking. Like, I don't think it's that big a deal, but perhaps I'm, I'm missing something. Moving well, on. I don't want to work up the, I don't want to work up the listeners, but remind me to tell you something off air that, uh, that a friend told me and, and he was describing, uh, um, <laughs> some of that, a, a certain racer. And, uh, I need to tell you that off air, but it was, uh, it was freaking hilarious. Well, and perhaps I'm, you know, from a personal standpoint, kind of defensive on this, like a decade ago, two decades ago, like I was kind of the Gage Birch of the time. Like it was me and Nick Folk. We took a long time. We took longer than anybody else. Right. And we got, we got kind of chastised for that. I will say this, and maybe it's in defense of the, the, the OGs. I ain't changed anything over the course of the last 20 years. Like I ain't got any faster and where everybody was waiting on me. I better stage first half the time now. <laughs> like everything else has slowed down. I ain't doing nothing different, but yeah. everything else has slowed. I down. watched your run with Garrett Griffith that you that you posted online, and uh, yeah, that uh, you know, I think everybody's routine has slowed down. And I went to you for advice probably uh, like eighteen to twenty years ago. I was struggling, and I just couldn't, <clears throat> you know, I just couldn't get my my act together. And you said. Anytime I'm struggling, I, I slow my routine down just a little. And it helps me make sure that, you know, I've covered all my bases. I, I've done all my pre-work before I get up there and stage. You said maybe you're you're rushing yourself in. I was a deep stager at the time, so I, I tended to rush a little bit, even though I knew they were holding the tree. But that was your advice to, you know, you didn't say, hey, get so slow that you're going to piss everybody off. You just said, hey, slow your routine down just a little and make sure you got you know, your head where it needs to be before you stage. Cause when you move fast, the faster you move, the more you're likely to be thinking about some details as you're staging. And that, that needs to be completely done. So, uh, and that, that helped a lot. It really did. So uh, I can see where your slower routine back then was a little out of place, but today it fits right in. Yeah. Um, all right. My sixth question for you in one word, big Jed, Vince Mussolino. My God, my man has been to six NHRA events this season. He just attended his first national event of the season. Of the six races where he has staged for round one, he has held the Wally four times. Three divisional wins in five attempts, runs the table on his first national event win of the season, runs the table on Maple Grove and Reading, Pennsylvania for the season, won both the divisional and the national event there. Four wins and six is impressive. Vince Mussolino's Reading top dragster victory was uh, dominating. You know, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm tied to Vince in the social media and, you know, he just seems so genuine. It seems like he's really having a blast and enjoying himself. He seems to take a different approach and mentality to the track with him when he goes and I don't know, he, he just seems very relaxed and comfortable and obviously competing in a very fast category. But, you know, if, if he takes that same mentality to 
the starting line with him, the way he comes off online, makes him unbeatable. And his 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 top dragster win uh, put him in a in an area where he is absolutely dominating that category right now uh, within the most recent weeks, if nothing else. But four out of six, that's that's hard to do. My word is going to sound like it is a demeaning word, and it is not right. Four to win four races and six appearances is absolutely incredible. I'm going to take this in the connotation of from a points earning aspect in terms of uh, the ability to win a national championship. This is going a little bit on a limb, but my word is irrelevant. And that's crazy to say. My man has won four times in six events. You know who else has four wins this year? Clint Geisy. The difference, and again, I'm going to get back on my soapbox, is that Geisy's four wins are worth 20 more points than Vince Mussolino's four wins. Why? Because the rules are different at a nationally contested category where Clint Geisy typically races versus where Vince Mussolino typically races. It's a 48-car field. It's six rounds. It's an extra round. He won two races that were an extra round. He's got 20 more points. And he's had a tremendous season in, in addition to those four victories. Whereas Mussolino, he's won four out of six, which is tremendous in terms of batting average. It's not great for national points just because he hadn't been to enough races and there ain't enough races left. Hey, he can make the minimum. He w- he's entered in Charlotte. He's going to Charlotte this weekend. He's entered in Dallas. So he can get to the minimum three. And if he wins both of them, he'll probably win the world championship. But there is no margin for error. Like that is what it will take probably to surpass Clint Geisy due to Geisy's incredible season and the um, inequality in the point system. Um, and the fact that, that Vince Mussolino's run now at a national championship is late in the season, not going to get the full quota of national events. I mean, he could make a fourth at Pomona. Uh, it's just, it's a tough row to hoe when you consider the incredible score that Geisy's putting together. Yeah, obviously that uh, that puts Geisy in a great spot and Mussolino has to do something pretty incredible to to pull this off. But, you know, if even if he doesn't, he has to, to sit back and look at what he accomplished and be well, extra, extra proud of it. Oh, without question, but I... I hope he, well, we had Clint Geisy on the show. Like, I I don't want to say I hope that Vince makes me eat my words because I like Clint too, right? But I just think about what I just said. Did he score for six? If he continues that batting average, if he goes six for nine, it's over. I mean, (laughs) what's winning two more when you won four? I agree. Might be a little premature in saying that was irrelevant. But that's my word and I'm sticking to it. Back to the million big. One word. This is my final one word for you today. The OG Millions first trip to Worldwide Technology Raceway was? Luke, I've struggled with a word for this, um, but I'm going to use redemption. I like um, it. Okay. The OG Million has battled circumstances that were beyond their control and circumstances, quite honestly, as a part-time race promoter that I think would devastate my product. The The product that I'm putting out there, I think would most likely have come to an end had I battled some of the things they have battled. And for them to be able to sustain, for them to choose a new location, go out on a limb, try something different, a totally different region of the country. It ain't like they moved 100 miles up the road to a premier facility. They moved 10, 11 hours away from where they were and away from a lot of the core customers that have built a million and that's not knocking them. That's they, they went where they had to go. It's total redemption. Uh, this, this product is amazing. It is 
on the, the radar for every bracket racer in the country. It's a dream win for anybody that's been fortunate enough to do it once, much less multiple times. It's the OG, and it's the most important race for people to attend and win, and they pulled it off to perfection at Worldwide Technology Raceway. I'm super happy for Jenny and Randy and all of the Folk Promotions group and the racers. The racers got a got a great facility and a great event, and they got what they paid for, Luke, and that's a, the ultimate story of redemption. That's a great word. I had I had two words, and I realize now I'm I'm underselling it. Um, the two words that I had were the first million at Worldwide Technology Raceway was a home run. It's not enough. It was a grand slam. Um, oh. Kudos to the Folk family, the OG Million staff, and the the Worldwide Technology Raceway staff. I've we've been critical of this event and the promoters in the past. So I'm going to give credit where credit is due. This race was incredible. It was one of the most enjoyable events that I've attended all season. It was a massive crowd, which as you know, Jed, brings about its own challenges that are inevitable. I can't look back on a single decision that was made over the weekend, at least a critical decision that that we all could see that was that I would do any different. I think they nailed it from top to bottom. I think it speaks to that staff combination of things. I, I think there's some growth there. I think there's some learning like, hey, we've been th- what we've been through has set the tone to to build upon this. And I think that they really did their homework and said, how can we make this product what we want it to be, what it should be? And I think that they did that. And I think it speaks like we've talked about how difficult it it is or you know better than I do, Jed, like how difficult it would have to be to bring an event of this magnitude to a facility and a group of people that you've never worked with before. And just everything has to be perfect with zero margin for error, both in terms of the magnitude of the purse, the sheer number of cars that have to go down the racetrack, everything down the line. Um, Credit to the Folk family and that staff for connecting those dots. And also credit to the Worldwide Technology Raceway staff. It is obvious when things are working in harmony. And I'm sure that behind the scenes, this was not perfect. Boy, from where we sat, it was about as good as it gets. And for that to be year one, I think it's fair to say the million has found its home. I saw the stat, I think drag coverage had posted it, 8,000 plus runs down the racetrack in five days. I mean, that track didn't set dormant much from the time that they started Monday afternoon to the time that they finished in the wee hours of Sunday morning. And everything went according to the flyer. Yeah, there were some late nights. Like I said, I think we can have a different discussion about this, like projecting forward. If um, if the, assuming something doesn't happen to like the, the national economy, like assuming we're in a similar place to where we are now, the, the fact that that race went so splendidly, so smoothly, combined with if there's anything to the Donnie Hagar effect, like I think it's fair to say that this race will be bigger next year, which is kind of hard to imagine, that's going to bring about its own set of challenges. I do think that that's going to force some type of restructuring of the schedule. Like I think they kind of maxed out on what you can do, you know, in a traditional race format. So there's be some, some thinking that goes into that. Maybe we could speculate as to what that's even, what even goes into that, because that's, that's kind of uncharted territory to to some extent. I know that Pete's fought that a little bit uh, and, and done some things, I guess, SFG did too, with the way that they split up their million. That's something to think about. But just as a whole, um, super smooth, very little drama, 
everything, it seemed like every T was crossed, every I was dotted, like hats off. I think that the million has found a home. I think it's a really good fit. And uh, it sounds like all parties involved are ready for it to return to Worldwide Technology Raceway for the foreseeable future. So tip of the cap to everybody involved. It was awesome. Well said, great breakdown and certainly credit where credit is due. Uh, the, the event was was huge. It was massive. It was incredible from a car count standpoint. Obviously, Luke, when it gets to a certain number and the racers understand there's no buyback, that that incites double entries. And um, I, you know, I'm not at my opinion wasn't asked, nor is it does it matter. But I think for next year, they can really help themselves by going to single entry only in the surrounding races and allow doubles in the million itself. Um, that's doubles in the million itself is just fine. It's not going to get to a, a number that's unmanageable, but this thing could easily get to an unmanageable number and cost some people some opportunity to race. You know, they're going to have to combine some days or something. It really need to do that at the number that it's at. Okay. I mean, 774 and dragster, that thing finished at, you know, 340 in the morning and they don't want that. Nobody wants that. So I think single entries only in the the fifties and doubles allowed in the million is a, is a fair compromise and a, a, an opportunity that still is going to allow it to be, you know, especially the, the racer that thinks they're, they're still small time, but they scrape up enough to go run the fifties to know that everybody's got one shot in those fifties and you're not racing, traveling pros twice in a round. Uh, I think that will, will be a good vibe and I think it'll have some good feel good to it and it'll be managed uh, for, for them to, to complete the races. So um, maybe that's something they look at again, haven't been asked nor will I, but I think that would be a good format. That's a fantastic idea, Jed. I, I actually, I think I love that all the way around. That's why they should pay you the big bucks. Um, and, and my assumption is that then you could reintroduce buybacks in the surrounding races. Well, again, I think you've got a number there where you can or you can't, um, but it's not, I don't think it's likely that you get 600 single entered cool. races. Well, you wouldn't think so, right? Yeah. So, you know, you think that number is going to land in the 400 to 450 range. That's what I would think, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a manageable race to, to have a buyback and uh, move forward and get a winner, you know, at a decent time. Um, obviously the, the fling model is 425 single entries. And I'm pretty excited to see how that, mm-hmm. how that works out on the mountain here in a couple of weeks. And I think the million will have a very similar crowd and feel to it Yeah, on the single entered side. Yeah. But you don't actually put a cap on it, right? I, I don't think you cap it. No. Yeah. No, that, yeah, I, I think I, I like that format a lot. I like that idea a lot. And I will say this too, like the, Again, not throwing any shade. I think I agreed with every decision made in the moment. I think that they did a phenomenal job across the board. In saying that, I think I can also say that the million dollar race day itself could stand to be restructured because I don't think it was ever built for 471 entries, right? Like that is the same format that George Howard rolled out when that race got under 300 and it worked. There's a time trial for everybody. There's a buyback. And by and large, for years, we ran the final of that race before midnight, just from a from a lot of standpoints. The eyeballs on Donnie Hagar and that story was incredible. Could you imagine moving it back three hours? 
Like how many people just gave up, went to bed on the live feed and at the racetrack, right? To Yeah, totally. I, I did too. Um, and from a competition standpoint, from a competitor standpoint, like I wasn't there for the first two days. I didn't race till four in the morning on Tuesday. Like I rolled in the night prior to the million, right? So I raced the 50 grander before the million and the million. But the million dollar race itself, like I'm making a time trial at 8.30 in the morning. And I lost at 23 cars left at one o'clock in the morning. And that's a long day period at the racetrack. But when you, when it's the million, like there is, there's a different level of intensity. There is a different level of emotion. There's a different level of mental focus. Like I was exhausted and I wasn't there for the whole thing. You know what I mean? Like, I do think, I don't know what the answer is there. I don't know if it's cutting out the time trial. I don't know if it's splitting that race into two days which that brings about its own complications too, especially if you're going to have another race following it. You're asking people that are not in the million to sit and watch for two days before they get to race again. Like, I don't know what the answer is there, but with that many cars, I think the million itself could stand to be restructured. And I think it is fair to assume that there will be at least that many cars again in the coming year. Yeah, you're back to back, 496 and 471, Luke. I, I think it's um, it, it should be the expectation that you're going to live in that range at a minimum and possibly continue to grow it with the great vibes around the event right now and where it is and how it was run. So uh, definitely, and I'm sure Jenny, you know, needs a little time to rest and and her and Randy and the the staff will get together and figure out the best plan of attack, but definitely um, need to consider no time run. You know, obviously Donnie Hagar would have gotten a time run regardless of uh, of whether everybody in the million got one, because that's all he showed up for. So you're going to give new entries a time run. I, I realize they get that. So, but I don't think your winners are going to look back on the race in general and say that time run was really the difference. You know, that that thing, that was that helped me get my box set. I know I'd been racing here for three days already, but that helped me get set. Uh, so, you know, I, I think new entry time run is just fine. And let's get it on. There's a there's a buyback. It sucks to have to buy back, whether it's 500 or 50. But, you know, there's a buyback in place and the race needs to get finished at a decent time. And the winner get some opportunity to celebrate all that. All that considered, I, I think the time run probably needs to go at at a minimum. But that's probably you know, the easiest fix. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it, I'm not sure how it impacts the race. I'm not sure how many cars went down twice with the same driver, but you know. Well, that was one thing that I liked that I hadn't really seen before in the time trials, regardless of day, I believe. And, And it was certainly the case for, I got the new entry time trial on Thursday. And then it was the case in the time trial for the million. It didn't matter how many entries you had, one time trial per car. So that cut down a lot on that time. Like they made that time trial as efficient as they possibly could. It's just, again, like you just, it's just a numbers game. You, you, there's just not enough hours in the day. Yeah, no doubt. So definitely some things that, that they're going to need to do just to make sure that they uh, keep the experience where they want it. But that's a wonderful challenge to have, Luke. Wonderful. And, uh, and I know they'll do well. They'll, they'll come up with the right answers. Speaking of the, uh, the, the, the massive turnout that was uh, the 28th running of the OG million, uh, let's just, let's, let's circle back on our predictions, Big Jed. I feel so, I was, I said saying I was going to have 800 cars for six freaking months. I backed up last week. I should have stuck to my guns. I got scared. <laughs> you have been saying that. I got scared. 
The biggest surrounding event, the Thursday before the million, a massive 774 entries went down the track in round one. Britt showed us up, Big Jed. Britt got the closest. He said 714. I backed all the way up to 698. You said 675. We were all in the hemisphere. We didn't go big enough. The million itself, 471, I think was the was the final share. Is that what you said earlier? I think 471, Luke. That sounds right. You get the nod there. You said 457. Britt and I both went over. I said 522. Britt said 529. I honestly, Jed, thought when I went to bed Thursday night and there were 774 entries, I thought that there was a possibility that we would crest not only 500, but tickle at 600 to actually pay the full million. And I just thought, I don't remember what the cutoff was, 620. I thought, boy, if it gets to 590, we're going all the way. Like somebody will just... So some well-to-do somebody will just, I'll take the last 30 entries. I just want to see it pay a million. And it didn't even get close. Um, and it kind of fell back to the the percentage that is more traditional, still a little bit above, you know, the the half mark. We just saw that outlier at Montgomery a year ago where, you know, 70 plus percent of the of the field and the surrounding races entered the million. I knew, as I said, I went to bed Thursday night thinking like this could be the richest million ever, like by far, and it, and it could even pay the full million. I took one ride through the pits Friday morning and there's no way, like there was way too many trailers shut up. Like it, it kind of looked like the million of 15 years ago. Right. Um, so yeah. th- that was interesting. I don't know what I make of any of that. Um, but there were perhaps, I called it like the, the, the novelty of being at the million. I didn't think even the day prior that there was a lot of like I don't want to call them, I don't mean this in a demeaning term, like people that were just there for the novelty. But to me, if you're not racing the million, you're there for the novelty, right? Like the rest of the races don't make a ton of sense. Um, to see that many not running the million, like I I was a little bit surprised by that. Yeah, you know, I really obviously still at my number that I predicted for the million versus my number that I predicted overall, I thought a high percentage of the racers were, were going to enter. Um, it was a little less than I, I predicted as a percentage, but you know, it, that number just moves around. That's a, that's a moving target every year. So I don't think it's, it's easy to pick that. And I certainly think there's a, there's a large contingent there that are hoping, you know, I win two, three, four grand in these fifties to give myself an opportunity to enter the no. million comfortably. And I don't, I don't know how much this actually impacted the the entry figures. But I'll say this much, like by the time that the million itself rolled around in, in eliminations in the million um, for any variety of like across the board, the packages weren't what they were earlier in the week. Perhaps that is just the result of it being the million. Perhaps it is the result of it being day four of kind of a marathon with that many cars. I, but I do think because this honestly crossed my mind as someone that was sitting at home watching the live feed for the first two days. I literally told myself, I'm going to have to turn this off or I'm not going to drive the two hours there. This is ridiculous. I mean, it was just (laughs) sub 10 packages getting their butts kicked every other pair. And so I could see the, the, the racer coming in there that maybe hasn't raced on that stage consistently being like, okay, I'm going to be up for this. I'm going to be up for this. And they lay down 12 total and eight total back-to-back days and don't turn on a wind light. And they say to hell with this, I ain't throwing $2,000 at this This is ridiculous. Like, I I don't know how much that actually impacted the entry count, but I could see it having some impact because it was crazy. It has to, Luke. It has to impact it. I mean, uh, you know, you you need to be financially very comfortable with spending that 
to, to race the race anyway. And if you're on edge at all, you've got your teeth kicked in with making as good a runs or better runs than you were even attempting to make. Uh, that has to be mentally, uh, mentally damaging enough that it keeps you from, from entering the race. So I think there's a lot of that, but adversely there, there could be some racers that are making runs of a lifetime and go into the fifth or sixth round before they run into that crazy good run. And they're like, well, crap, you know, I mean, I think I need to gamble because I'm driving so good. So you might have just as many gambling on making great runs and turning on a lot of wind lights as you are deciding not to gamble because you were making good runs and not turning on wind lights. I'm not sure how that impacts the the total count, but uh, the racing was insane early. And I'm sure that uh, definitely does not help the cause. No. And I, I know this is not unique to, to that event or to worldwide technology raceway. Like I know it's nasty everywhere, but at the same time, you've got a great facility. The track seemed to be working phenomenally. The weather didn't change for five days. Like it was quote unquote, easy to make good laps. And it was, I mean, the, the night that I got there, I'm watching the late rounds. That was the night that Hastings won. And at six cars left, the worst winning reaction time was one. Yeah. I mean, just, and everybody's talking about it the next day. And I thought, well, that's crazy, but that's not normal. Okay. The first three times that I staged on the weekend, the worst reaction time beside me was two in three runs. I rolled around for my fourth shot, it was my second entry in the million. And I rolled up on Gary Stinnett and he looks at me like, dude, what are you doing? And I'm like, listen, man, I promise that you cannot make a better run than the three guys that I'd never heard of that I've run so far. I'll take my chances like hell with it. It's crazy. <laughs> and then it, it started to slack up. Like I started pulling in the right spot in line, but yeah, it was, it was as nasty of runs, like seemingly top to bottom as I've ever seen. Like it was very, very cutthroat. Yeah, and that's obviously a testament to the to the facility and the the crew and given good consistent race conditions and you know the the talent is obvious uh, every time you open the gate at a at a big money bracket race. So good to see that that the the facility matched what the expectation was and that they had a great event. And all in all, as you said, Grand Slam redemption, whatever word you want to put on it. Uh, super happy for for the million, the racers, the the facility. I think you know worldwide, obviously, is a is a premier facility on the the drag racing landscape. But it never hurts when you take a product that is so well known and so revered in racing, and you and again, I, I'm not trying to condemn any facilities, but they they pulled that worldwide pulled the million out of the barrel Luke and and put it back where it belongs and uh that was um that has to have that crew feeling really good yeah without question and just to follow up on our predictions obviously when we try to predict a winner it is very much a needle in a haystack situation we pretty much bricked all the way around but Jed I want to give a little credit where credit is due race kid did not win the million a west coaster did not win the million but of all our predictions yet the only one that made the final Race Kid raced his way to the final round on Thursday, the day prior to the million, fell to Jason Lawrence because with the exception of Hunter Patton Drakes, you just didn't win last weekend. But kudos to you. You, you, you did you did call races shot. Well, uh, you know, I will take credit for these types of things and I'll twist them around to try to even make it look like I got credit when I, I shouldn't have. 
I'm not going to take a whole lot of credit for that. Race Kid's a, race kid's a great pick. Um, certainly went to a final and a, a big final at that, and that was a really cool deal. But, you know, that that was not what I, uh, what I intended when I was picking my man race. But I'm assured look, that nobody, no bracket anywhere in the country had the winner, the actual winner of the OG Million. So for all intents and purposes, I got as close as any. Sure, sure. Uh, anything else on the million? I got a few quick hitters before we get out of here. No, nothing else on the million. Just uh, really happy for them and uh, and looking forward to seeing, you know, how this thing turns out. I know it's a year from now, but it's already got me excited. All right. Some quick hitters from elsewhere in the country. Does the number 107, when I say that, what does that number mean to you? Any light up anything? Well, it, it I, you're about to say what it means, but I never dreamed in my lifetime that that we would tie what you're about to tie together with that number. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's truly unbelievable. 107 is what Dan Fletcher last weekend and into Monday, his national event win super stock at Maple Grove, 107th national event victory of his illustrious career, all in the sportsman ranks. We said it before. It is a, it is a record not to ever, I think be broken. I think it's one that will stand like, unless the, 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 the landscape of sports and drag racing changes significantly. 107 is ridiculous, and he just keeps adding to it. What might even be more impressive, Jed? I don't know if you get more impressive than 107. How about 55 in Superstock? 55 national event wins in the Superstock category. You know, obviously one of the best to ever do it. Uh, Fletch is amazing, and and he's got, you know, a few decades of doing this. But the last... I don't know, Luke, the last 15 plus years, but at least 15 years of this has been super competitive. It's getting more expensive to do by the year. It's getting harder to to go out and compete with cars that are chasing you at a pretty good clip. And Fletch has basically taken the same ride for, I don't even know how long he's had his super stock car, but at least a couple of decades, maybe longer. Um, and, and doing it, that's, it's really impressive. This is a guy that if you know him, you know how fidgety he is about getting everything just right. He puts a lot of thought and a lot of effort into his racing program and the results have shown it and they're continuing to show it. He, you know, how many runner-ups does he have? That's what I'd like to know, Luke. I mean, you not got 107. Yeah. You've got 107 wins and how many finals has he been to? I mean, that's, that's another remarkable. Let's uh, trivia time it. Somebody, stat. somebody will look that up for us. Uh, Austin or Kevin, somebody. Can Austin Williams. Yeah. Get, get trivia time. What's your guess? How many, he's got 107 wins. How many national event runner ups? Oh, I would say he's runnered up um, 39 times. Ooh, that's a good number. I think his winner, final round win percentage has got to be high, but that's really high. I, I was, I was going to say 50, but that's too clean. 50 is too clean. You got to go with an odd number. Give me, you went 39. Can I go yeah. like $39 and one cent? I could just, <laughs> you I, can do I, anything I think, you want. I'm going to take the show. over, but yeah, let me, let me try to pin it a little bit closer. I'll go with 47, 47 runner up. Somebody do the research. Let us know. All right. Fletcher was joined by Joe Santangelo, familiar name, Chase Fonestock, another familiar name in that part of the country. This was his first national event win, long time coming, well-deserved. Our boy, Keith Mayers. Former Super Street World Champion Keith Mayers got the win in Super Gas. First national event win in that new Alpha Romeo. Steve Zubka won comp. George Forrester won top sportsman. Obviously, we talked about Vince Mussolino winning top dragster. I called it in, well, you called it in January. 
before anybody ever went down the racetrack. I think I, I think I said it was over in April for Sherman Adcock Jr. There's, there's a chance, Big Jed. It's not likely, but if you're looking for a path for someone other than Sherman Adcock Jr. to win the Supergas National Championship, following his insane otherworldly start, Sherman is cool. Sherman has, dare I say, faltered in recent months. He hasn't really added to that score. It's still massive. It's still 678. It should still win the world every year. But there's a crack. There's an opening. And there's not many people that could exploit it. But I'll just give you a scenario, Big Jed. Austin Williams sits second in the world. And on the surface, Austin Williams is two event wins away from surpassing Sherman Adcock Jr. And he's got five races left. That sounds doable for someone of Austin Williams' ilk. Right. So maybe it's not over the hiccup. The hiccup, Big Jed, is that of those two victories that Austin would need to surpass Sherman Adcock Jr., one of them has to be a divisional victory because he's already got two late finishes at national events. And where that becomes complicated is he's only got one divisional event left. Presumably that's this weekend in Tulsa. Odds are he won't win. But boy, if he does, if he does, Jed, this gets really interesting. Then he's got four opportunities at nationals to win one. And perhaps our boy Sherm starts to get a little uneasy. I'm not ready to say it's not over, but I will reserve the right to retract that statement if Austin Williams wins Tulsa race one. Well, I would have to say it it's, may not peg the uneasy meter, but it certainly gets it moving in the wrong direction. If, if Austin turns on that win light, that final win light, that divisional this weekend, um, you know, Sherm still has to, he understands that that it's still going to take a an incredible performance on Austin's part, but it has to make him feel a little uh, unsafe, uh, not as safe as he has felt. But you know, no offense to Austin, we love Austin. Austin's our our stat guy, but don't do it to him, Austin. Pull it for you, Sherm. I mean, I called it over and I picked him to win the championship early in the year. Let me be right once, bro. I need this admittedly it's a long shot and simply by talking about it we've probably jinxed it i was just i was surprised it was the it was the announcer at the midwest junior series a, a couple of weeks ago he's like you know sherman it's not over i'm like oh it's over and i went home and studied it a little bit. i'm like yeah maybe so you're telling me there's a chance right so yeah. <laughs> we've got a tickets punch scenario big jet it is that time of year The NHRA Summit Series World Championships will be contested at the second to last national event of the season in Las Vegas. Four divisions have sent their champions. Their champions have punched their tickets to Vegas most recently this past weekend. In the Super Pro category, a couple of pretty recognizable names, Big Jed. Tony Virgilio, local standout regional stud in this area. He punched his ticket. He'll represent Division Three. Matt Driscoll, I think a familiar name nationwide. He will, after Matt has a Super Comp World Championship on his mantle, he's flirted with a top dragster title. He's flirted with a top sportsman title. He is now three rounds away from winning the Super Pro National Championship. He will be in Vegas. They'll be joined by, uh, let's see, Zach Mazir, who pretty much ran the table at the D6 ET Finals. He won the race champions. He won the main event. Uh, He'll be there, as well as um, Jacob Sterling, who nearly did the same thing in Division Four. Sterling won the super pro category. He also runnered up the, the pro no box category. Pretty impressive day for one Jacob Sterling. So those four tickets punched in Super Bowl in, in Super Pro. Uh, that'll be fun to watch. A couple of quick hitters from the weekend. My boy Chad Isley, Big Jed, runner up not once, but twice in the race of champions. And probably not, dog. not the two classes that most people would assume that 
you would qualify for the race of champions in. He run it up in pro. He also run it up in motorcycle. My man is the ultimate pocket knife <laughs> utility driver. Chad Isley he didn't quite get it done, but two runner ups and race champions. I thought that was worth noting. Yeah, definitely worth noting. Uh, some of the some of the toughest names in uh, in sportsman racing that you mentioned, and obviously the the world finals at Vegas are going to be very cool to watch. And I'm sure we'll have plenty of breakdown of that. Luke, um, you know, some of my buddies that uh, that punched their tickets are Jeff Rydell and Steve Kelly from uh, Divisions 3 and 5, Bottom Bulbers. Those guys are going to be a handful. Uh, definitely looking forward to seeing them compete and get it done. And um, Four and six, but you uh, were close. Oh, it was four and six, yes. <laughs> yes. I, I was reading the screen, wasn't I? I'm Ron Burgundy. When I, <laughs> when I see those numbers, I, 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 I say them and don't even think about them. So, yeah, definitely uh, Division 4 and 6, Texas and Washington. Washington, as some people would say. And, we, uh, so We'll certainly dive into and preview the, the World Championship runoff as it gets closer and all of the players are, are settled in every category. Additionally, we'll dive into and preview the, the IHRA, uh, Summit Super Series runoffs, the World Championships, and comes to Holly Springs in just a few short weeks. Um, one quick yeah. note on that. We were talking about this pre-show. This is someone that I'm very familiar with just in this area. And I think most uh, followers of, of, uh, of bottom ball racing are familiar with the name Wesley Lockhart. It's Charlie Lockhart's brother. For those of you that may not know Wesley, Wesley keeps it closer to home stud in this area, certainly. Um, so there's, there's basically, there's three ways that you can qualify to compete in the IHRA tournament of champions. Is this correct, Judd? Yeah. You can win a sportsman spectacular. You can win your track uh, category and points, IHRA points, and you can win a bracket finals. Okay. To this point, Wesley Lockhart, he won his track championship at his, uh, his one home track. That's at Gleason, Raceway Park. He won the track championship at his other home track. That's, that's Beacon Dragway in Paducah, Kentucky. And oh, by the way, he won the bracket finals last weekend. So my understanding is that he cannot have three entries in the tournament of champions, but he is Seemingly uh, every week he is whittling the field down because he's stealing bids. <laughs> he can't have multiple entries, but he doesn't want anyone else in the race. You know, I know we talked about that pre-show, Luke, and I said, you know, the other competitors are probably thankful that that he's stealing bids. But I'm guessing that you know the track, if the if the winner has won at multiple tracks, the track he chooses to run for the the track he doesn't run for can go to number two. I'm not sure how that works. So it might not make the field any smaller, but it's definitely going to make it a little less talented because Wesley is a bad, bad man on the bottom bulb. I will be representing I-22 Motorsports Park in, in the top bulb category at the World Finals. I'm thankful that I don't have to race against Wesley on the bottom because there's no chance I could beat him, but... I predicted early in the honest, year. Luke. I'm surprised that he didn't win one of those track championships off the bottom in the yeah. top bulb class, but I, I guess he didn't. Very good. Uh, I predicted early in the year that um, that the the top bulb world championship in IHRA would be won by an Alabama racer. I honed in on that and said that it would be won by a racer from Baileyton from the Good Time. That is going to be one Heath Davis. We know Heath is apt to win pretty much anywhere and everywhere he goes. But I'm hopeful that I just got part of that right. But really looking forward to it. 
Also, JJ has uh, gotten a nod to announce the IHRA World Finals. So look at this guy. To enjoy that. Yeah, he's he's the man about town right now. I'll, I'll get to enjoy that with my boy. Now, that's October 5th through the 7th at Holly Springs. So going to be really cool to, to get to compete in that and be part of something a little bit special. That's fantastic. Fall Fling, IHRA World Finals, Tournament of Champions. My man JJ is happening. High demand. Yeah, you know, and he did the spring fling at Galatz. He's uh, so cool. he's all over it right now. Yeah, it's good times. Um, Luke, next week uh, we'll discuss the the Rockingham SFG event, uh, Charlotte National, and the Tulsa Divisional that, that you do, double divisional that you just talked about, um, where where Austin Williams is trying to give himself an opportunity at the the Super Gas World Championship. So a lot of great racing to talk about next week. This was a heck of a show, bro. I mean, this was awesome. I don't know. You're in Illinois. I'm in Alabama. You know, we've got a connection here, but I don't think you can smell it. But the bacon is done in the Pennington household. Okay, It's a couple of rooms away from me. It's smelling really good. And it's calling my name. It's supper time here at the Penderosa. That's it. That's the show. We need to wrap this boy up. Um, it's, been a, it's been a great time. Really, really cool show. A lot of great discussion. Had a great crowd online. I know some of you were chiming in. We appreciate that very much. We appreciate you watching. You were tuning in tonight live. And if you're just getting this on Friday and listening to it, we appreciate that. And if you did both, we extra appreciate you. But either way you're getting the show, any way you're getting it, we love you. And we're having a blast talking to you about Sportsman Drag Racing every week. If you've got something you want to say, a lot of you are doing that right here, chiming in online. Sorry we couldn't get to the comments, but um, there's a place to do that right here at the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. You can do it publicly, or if you think we're full of crap and we got something wrong and you want to call us out privately, you can do that as well. Oh, do, do that privately too. We like that. Yeah, we do. And uh, we, we can take it either way. But if you do it privately, producer Mark will snag it up and tell us what you had to say. Luke, uh, I didn't see you go into the pad. Maybe I missed it, but um, there was a lot of discussion. I don't know that you have any shouts. Shouts to dinner time, Big Jen. Let's get out of here. Shouts to bacon, baby. Bacon is awesome. I can't wait to see what else is in there with it. Guys, thank you so much. Luke and I, we're on the X. Make sure you add us, tag us, whatever you do on the X. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. We appreciate you watching or listening. And we can't wait to talk to you again real soon. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer, led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action 
take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.